Howdy y'all, it's so great to see you guys. Ooh. I was like, are we awake yet? I think I was about 45 minutes into the drive this morning before I woke up, so. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I'm, on a, I'm on all of, you just cruise control, right? And just go. Yeah. That's how it works, right? Well, uh, this passage that we're going to look at this morning uh, is one that I get, I get pretty teary-eyed, um, and it's really hard for me to preach it, I'll be honest, and so I just, I just need a minute to pray together with you guys. I'll, I'll move, Ed. Don't, don't worry, I know where the camera is, so yeah. Thanks, Ed. Um, yeah, and, and, and we'll see why. So, uh, like I said, I just need a minute to just kind of take a deep breath. And so let's, I know we just prayed, but we're going to pray again because we can't pray enough. The Bible says to pray without ceasing, but uh, yeah, so. All right, let's pray again. So, Father, we just, we love you. We're so thankful that you don't leave us where we are, but you long to take us where you're going. So, Father, just uh, give me your words today. Help me to say the things to, to your people that you would want to say to them. And, Father, we just ask you to be with us and help us to be your people always. And we ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, I love this book and not just because it's like brown and it matches my iPad cover. Uh, I, I, I genuinely love the words that are, that are inside of this book. It, uh, it is, uh, I'm so passionate about helping you understand how amazing it is, how amazing the Word of God is. It, it, it's uh, the fact that we're allowed to read it and to listen to it and be transformed by it. It's, it's incredible. It really is. Uh, and the story, like I said, the story that um, that we're looking at today, this passage that we're reading today, hits me really deep, hits me really deep. I was telling Catherine, my wife, and my mom about it last Saturday, and I, even just trying to like just tell the story, I couldn't tell the story without crying. And I'm not a crier by my own nature. I don't cry, like if I hit my, my thumb with a hammer or something, I don't cry. Um, you know, I, 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 if something bad happens to me, I don't, I don't cry. It's when I, when I empathize with others is when I really begin to shed tears. And really, any tears that I shed aren't my own. Really, they come from having a daughter and from having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's the only reason I cry. Uh, but it, it's hard for me to feel something so profound that I shed tears. Um, but every time I, I, I tell this story, it's happened to date, so we'll see if it happens today. Well, just to give you a precursor, we're going to be camped out in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. So Luke is one of the four Gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's in the last third of your Bible after Mark and before John. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be looking through verses 40 through 56, as you see on the screen also, uh, I, I'd love to have you flip there if you have your own Bibles or if you have a, a Bible app on your phone. I think it's really important that 
It's not just me reading it. It's not just you listening to it, but us reading it together. But I wanted to give you guys uh, some, some backstory before we read through this together. So Luke chapter 7, there's this story where Jesus is eating, and he's eating at uh, one of uh, the leaders, the Pharisees' houses. And in verse uh, 37, it says there was a woman from the city who was a sinner, a woman of the city who was a sinner. She came to this dinner and we don't know her name. There's two things, or I guess there's three things we know about her, that she's a woman, she's from the city, and she's a sinner. Those are the three things that we know about uh, this woman. That's her title, Sinner from the City. (laughs) She brought an alabaster vial to Jesus as he was eating, and she poured out this vial on his feet and began to wash his feet with her hair. Gross. I think the weird part is that the Pharisee doesn't call out how odd it was for someone to be washing someone else's feet with their hair. But she, like the Pharisee in his mind, he's like, well, if Jesus really was a prophet, he would know that this is a sinner from the city. So he can't truly be a prophet. And then, you know, Jesus knows what he's thinking and he calls it out. Um, And he tells the story about people who are in debt. And who will love the other person more? Is it the one that's forgiven of a lot of debt or someone who's forgiven of very little debt? He goes, well, it's the one who's forgiven of a lot of debt. He goes, you have spoken correctly. And then he speaks to the woman, right, the sinner from the city, and he says, your sins are forgiven. Now go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So that's the the precursor to to chapter 8 is the story of Jesus with the woman from the city who's a sinner who washes his feet with her hair, and by the end of the dinner, he says, your sins are forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace. So as chapter 8 begins, Luke makes it a point to tell us at the beginning of chapter 8 that there were several women following Jesus as well as his disciples. It says that. If you look at the beginning of chapter 8, there are several women. Uh, To us, it may seem like a part of the story that really isn't important. Yeah, Jesus was really impactful. We understand that both men and women were following him. But here's, here's, why, here's why it was important. Uh, Jesus was known in the Jewish community as a rabbi, right? Several people, even when they addressed him, they said rabbi, which was a really fancy way of calling someone a, a teacher, specifically a teacher of the law or just a, a teacher, a leader in general. Um, and rabbi didn't let women follow them. And it may seem sexist, it may seem odd, but the reality is, is uh, I, I know I say that a lot, uh, the Jewish people did not let women read. So someone who couldn't read or write, they didn't also let them learn beyond the age of 10 to 12. Their mindset was that a woman was good for uh, cooking and cleaning and childbearing and nothing else. And they thought that they were following God with treating women like this. But as we see from Jesus, this was not the mindset of God, right? Jesus is God on earth. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us. And it said several women were following Jesus. Here's here's why it was difficult. It was very difficult to travel with women and be ceremonially clean, 
And that may seem, seem odd, uh, not just because of the temptation that comes from having women with you, uh, but a Jewish man, especially a rabbi, would struggle because uh, women in their child-rearing years, they have a monthly cycle. And I know all the men in the room are like, I'm so glad we're talking about this right now. Thank you so much for sharing. Can you tell us more details about women's cycles? Uh, during that time of the month, women were considered uh, unclean in Jewish standards. So they had to sleep in an encampment outside of the city. And some rabbis were even teaching that during that time that women shouldn't even look at a man or talk to a man. So if you're traveling with women all the time, women are traveling with you during those three to, to five days, and even sometimes some Jewish leaders were teaching three days before and up to seven days after, which is half a month. So for two weeks, you can't talk to women or, or be near them, or else you yourself will be ceremonially unclean. So for a Jewish leader, this was insanely difficult. So for them, it was just easier to just, you know what, just women, I care about you, but just stay behind. It was very difficult because in order to become clean again, they had to go through what was called a tavila or tavila, which is complete immersion, which we now call baptism. But it was, this, it was this washing away to become ceremonially clean again. You had to go into a mikvah and do a tevila, which was this process of becoming ceremonially unclean by putting your whole body, immersing your whole body into the water. This was something that women were required to do exactly a week after their cycle ended so that they could become clean again. And it was, so it was insanely daunting. It was, it was really hard to travel with women. It's really hard to travel with women. With all those stipulations, it just wasn't worth it for most rabbis, but not for Jesus, the Messiah. He valued women as equal to men in the kingdom of God. Do we believe that? Jesus values women as equal to men in the kingdom of God. Amen? So let's get back to the story. Jesus had drawn a large crowd. This is again in Luke chapter 8. Uh, and just like any good preacher, Jesus took that time to pass the plates. No, he, he tells some stories. He tells, that's right. Uh, so he tells some stories, which we call them parable, parables and parabolas. No, parables. And uh, those stories, they have a purpose, and Jesus tells them that purpose. And there's this really weird part of the story that I, I think I probably, I would have left out if I was Luke and I was writing this. So it says, okay, they, they gathered this large crowd, and so he said, hey, let's go to the other side of the lake. And so they get in the boat, they go to the other side of this lake, and when they're on their way from one side to the other, uh, there's this terrible storm that happens, and Jesus is sleeping, and the disciples are like, we're going to die, and Jesus, you know, so they wake Jesus up, like, don't you care that we're going to die? And he just like, he wakes up, and he's like, what? He's like, okay, waves, calm down, wind, calm down. And then he, so he reprimands the wind and the waves, and then he reprimands verbally, the disciples. He goes, don't you guys have faith? And then he, I think he just goes back to sleep, and then they, you know, make it to the other side. Uh, I think that's what would happen if, if I were to wake up, you know, on, on a boat, you know, and just, guys, calm down. It's going to be okay. Uh, but as soon as, they, as soon as they get off, they get to the other side. As soon as they get off the boat, they're met by a, a naked man who's demon-possessed, which is just the best welcome party, right? 
Thank you so much for sending us your best. Uh, the reason, and this naked man was by himself because everyone was terrified of him. When men run around naked and crazy, no one wants to be around them. Weird. And so uh, Jesus comes and he, and, he, and he heals this man. He, he takes the demons out. Uh, hopefully he gave him like a pair of trousers or something. And then he says, you know, don't, you know, don't tell anyone what happened. And of course, men followed directions so well that the man immediately went back into town and told everyone what happened. Uh, but, and that's it. That's all they do there. He literally just like sails, they, they almost die in this, <laughs> this storm, and he heals this one man, and then they get back on the boat, and they head back the other way. They literally start, they go, he heals one guy, they almost die, and then they come back. And if I was a disciple, I'd been like, really? That's it? <laughs> okay, just for this one? Okay, maybe it's just me that sees how, how silly that is. Uh, so they... They get back. They come back where they started. This is all in chapter 8. It's crazy. It's like there's, there's not a lot of detail here. It's just like this is what happened. Uh, we're used to if you read the Gospel of Mark because he's just like, he's, he's my kind of guy. Immediately. And then immediately he went and did this and immediately. But Luke takes his time because he was a physician and he wants to tell you exactly what was going on. And uh, we don't get a whole lot of that in Luke chapter 8. So they get off the boat back where they started. And Jesus is met with an even worse welcoming party than a naked, demon-possessed man. There was a Jewish leader waiting for him. And the reason why that was scary was because the Jewish leaders had already set out to kill Jesus. They were already planning on killing him. While a naked, demon-possessed man, Jesus knew that he could just cast the demon out of that man. But a, a Jewish leader, that was a lot more scary. Okay, uh, so that's where we are in this story where Jesus is being met by this Jewish leader. So let's read together. It's, uh, you know, 17 verses all in all. We're going to start in verse 40. You guys ready? Okay, now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling. And falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. 
and all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat, and her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. It is important to note, again, by this time that the Jewish leaders had already begun discussing the ways to get rid of Jesus. They were already seeking to find any reason to kill him. But Jesus, being Jesus, knows that he's not being led into a trap when Jairus asks him to come and be with his daughter. So although the Bible doesn't expressly say this, we know from the context how difficult it would have been for Jairus. He's one of those Jewish leaders that he's voting, yep, let's kill Jesus, I'm in, let's go, until his daughter is dying. Now he doesn't want to kill Jesus. People were having to take sides. Not like in today's world, right? We don't have to take sides in today's world, right? There's just nothing but peace and love and tranquility. They were having to choose between those who wanted to kill Jesus and those who thought Jesus was the Messiah. There really was no middle ground in the Jewish community. You were either one or the other. So by Jairus coming to Jesus' feet, he is taking the side of believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And really, he has no choice because his daughter is dying and there's nothing that he could do to help her. Well, a couple years ago, when Hosanna, our three-year-old, was Zeke's age, uh, a, a little younger, um, she, her body broke out in a rash. And I don't know if you can see it from the picture, uh, but there's these giant red, like, welts everywhere. And it wasn't just on her back. It was on her face. It was on her legs. It was over her whole body. So, of course, you know, I tried to convince Catherine it would just go away. Like, don't, we don't need to take her to the doctor. She's fine, you know. No, that's not what happened, right? Our two-year-old was screaming, screaming, scratching and, and crying, and it was just endless. And we, we, we saw the hurt. We experienced it with her, and so we took her to the doctor, and they, they took her temperature, and, you know, they, they looked at the rash, and they're like, we think it might be this, we'll give her this medicine, and then she'll be okay. And, but they didn't know, and so we gave her the medicine, and the rash got worse. It, it got worse. It spread farther and faster, and, and it, there was a time when almost none of her body was white. It was just all red. And so we took her to a different doctor and said, hey, this doctor told us to, he, we gave her this. And he goes, oh, no, no, it's not that. It's not that. Give her this medicine, put this cream on her, and she'll be fine. And so we did. We did that. We did that. We, we, we put the cream on. We gave her the baths, right? Give her an oatmeal bath, and, and she'll be fine. Uh, she felt better for a second, but then the rash began to, to spread, and, and the redness uh, began to, to crack. And so we, we said, hey, th this medicine did not work. And so we took her back to another doctor, and the doctor said, no, 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 no. The first two were wrong. It's this, it's this, I can't even remember what he, he called it, but I, I think it, it was uh, crazy rash disease. I think that's what he said. 
I don't mean to be too scientific with you guys today. I know that that's a lot. But I just, I just remember that he said, there's nothing you can do but, but wait. And I remember I, I called Catherine as I was leaving the doctor's office and I was just broken. Just weep. What do you do? She's two. She doesn't under, you can't reason with a two-year-old and tell her, hey, we just got to wait it out. You know, sorry about your rash. And in that moment, I would have given anything to make her well. Anything. There's no amount of money that I would not have paid. There's no amount of distance I wouldn't have driven to make her well. But we couldn't. Now, thankfully, after a week or so, which is crazy how fast it happened, it just went away. But there was a moment where we were both terrified that we could not do anything to help our daughter. And one of the doctors, he was like, well, you know, it might be a rare form of blood cancer, which is what everyone loves to hear about their child, right? Oh, my child might have blood cancer. Perfect. Thank you for telling me that. And then just being like, okay, have a nice day. Bye. So we were wrecked. And we tried to hold it together because you have to. When your child is sick and they can't understand what's going on, you can't just freak out all the time. So we tried to make life as normal as possible for her. And every time she would cry because it hurt so bad or it itched, we'd pick her up and we'd hold her. And we'd be shedding tears, but then we'd set her down and we'd you know, show our happy faces. That's where where Jairus was. But he knew his daughter was dying. His only daughter. Twelve years old. He had invested his time, his prayers, his energy, his money into getting his daughter well. And nothing worked. He was at the end of his rope. And so when he comes to Jesus' feet, If you read the passage, it says he falls at Jesus' feet. He's tired. He's weary. He's broken. He begged Jesus to come and heal his daughter because nothing else has worked. So Jesus agrees to go with him. But of course, uh, people are gathered around him because Jesus is amazing there's so many people gathered uh, in the crowd and, and they're headed to, to Jairus' house that there's a woman in the same predicament that Jairus is in, except for it's for herself and not for her child. But there's a woman, and the, we don't know her name. Did you see her name listed anywhere? No? All that we know is that we call her the woman with the issue of blood. That's her title. That's, that's what we give her. If you look at the, the top the index part where it says this is what this passage is about. It says the the woman with the issue of blood. Now, we talked earlier about why she shouldn't have been there because she was ceremonially unclean and she had been so for 12 years. She had been alone for 12 years. So when she comes, 
in this crowd, she saw her opportunity, right? There's this big crowd. She could just sneak in and touch Jesus. And no one would know. No one would be the wiser because there's this big crowd of people. No one's paying attention to her. She's just a woman. She probably had a a cloak put over her head. She could run in. She could touch Jesus's garment, and then she could be gone. And she had so much faith that she was willing to risk being executed just to touch Jesus. And for a moment, she thought she got away with it. She touched him. She was healed. There's this big crowd. She, she slips back into the crowd, and Jesus stops. Someone touched me. And I love, he tells the disciples, he goes, hey, figure out who did this. Who touched me? And Peter's response would have been my response too, just like, yeah, everyone's touching you. Like literally, there's this whole crowd of people. They're mobbed on you. Yeah, of course someone touched you. And Jesus had to clarify. He's like, no, I felt the power come out of me. Someone was healed. Someone touched me. And so they're, they're, it says that everyone denied it, but eventually this woman with the issue of blood, she, she knew that they were going to find out eventually. So she does the same thing that Jairus just did. She comes and she falls at Jesus' feet. She said, it was me. I touched you. I've been dealing with this issue of blood for 12 years, and I'm sure everyone would have gasped because that meant that now every single person that she had touched on her way to Jesus was unclean, and now Jesus, the rabbi, was unclean, and that would have meant that their whole trip would have been thrown off. Jesus would have had to stop everything, everything that was going on, and first go make himself clean. So, I'm sure that everyone in the crowd was expecting Jesus to say, all right, everyone pick up a stone, let's kill her, because that was the consequence for breaking that. And he looks at this woman, and he calls her daughter. He didn't call her dead. He didn't call her the woman with the issue of blood, he called her daughter. She had been sick for 12 years. She had spent every dime she had. She'd used every possession she had to get well, and it didn't work. She saw every doctor. She took every pill. She drank every drink. And she still bled for 12 years. She had been living but dead, isolated, alone for 12 years. How old was Jairus' daughter? 12. Jairus had the opportunity to, to raise a healthy child for 12 years, and it's just now that she's dying. So it tells us that so we know that these stories are linked together. 12 years, this woman was living completely isolated, and for 12 years, Jairus had a daughter who was alive. She took a chance. She thought that she might be killed, but she recognized that the possibility of being killed was worth it to maybe she could be well. She took a chance. 
She didn't want anyone to know. Even after she'd been made well, she didn't want anyone to know because she was so ashamed of what she had done. But at this part of the story, she was no longer the woman with the issue of blood. And the reason why it's important what Jesus said was because the reason why it was important for Jesus to bring her back, not just to let her run away, because she had been healed at this point, right? She Physically, she was well, but emotionally, if she had left at that time, she would have hated herself. She would have felt so bad about what she had done, so Jesus couldn't just heal her physically. He took the time to heal her emotionally, which is why he, he spent so much effort and time to call her back to bring her back, he called her daughter. She wasn't a woman who is now full of shame, but she has the honor of being the only person in the entire Bible that Jesus calls daughter. She was orphaned by society, but the king of the universe calls her daughter. Imagine how Jairus felt, though. Because Jairus is, is powerless to stop any of this from happening. He has a girl that he calls daughter. And he was risking everything to come and see that she could be healed and instead of Jesus making his way quickly from this place to his house, he stops to heal a woman. It's interesting, too, because it says, as Jesus was speaking, one of the servants came up and said, don't, don't waste the teacher's time. Your daughter's dead. Now, Jesus encourages Jairus not to be afraid and only to believe, which are great words to live by. But if I was Jairus, I would have been so upset. And I know because I've been in that situation, not where my daughter has died, but when you, when you just feel like the person that was supposed to be helping you doesn't care enough to help you. No one was willing to come to our house. No one was willing to watch our daughter for a week. They weren't saying, hey, uh, we want to make sure that she gets well, and so we're going to do everything that we can to help her. No, they, they were so full of people that they were just whisking her away. And so I know what that, that anger feels like, that I thought you were going to help me, Jesus, but now it's too late. I risked everything to come to talk to you and beg you for help, and because you stopped to heal this random woman, now my daughter's dead. Man. Don't be afraid. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I wouldn't have been struggling with fear. Fear would not have been the emotion that I was struggling with. I would have been livid. Jairus has the faith that I don't think I... I would have had because he, he believes in, in Jesus. He trusts that Jesus is who he says he is, and ultimately Jesus brings that little girl back to life. It's an interesting part of the story where, you know, he says, Jesus goes, no, she's just sleeping, and they laugh at him. 
Like, no, she's, she's dead. But then he, you know, he brings her back to life. Now, there's some powerful miracles recorded in this section, right, of the Bible. We have physical ailments overcome, demons being cast out, a sinful woman being forgiven, a child being brought back to life after she had died. But I don't, I don't want you to miss the forest through the trees, right, which is really applicable here in Grant's Pass. I don't want you to miss the forest of the trees. I want you to be able to see what the Lord revealed to me when I read this passage. The focus is not on what Jesus did. It's what He said. The focus is not on what Jesus did. It's on what He said. Yes, Jesus is an amazing healer. But He didn't just come to heal the sick. He came to bring spiritual life to those who were dead. He came to bring hope to the hopeless. He came to bring mercy to the accused, and He came for you. So again, we don't know the names of any of these people that He healed. We have Jairus' daughter. We have the woman with the issue of blood. We have the woman who's a sinner from the city. We have the naked demoniac. That's what they were called. But what do they call you? What do they call you? They called Jairus' daughter dead. And he called her back to life. They called the woman with the issue of blood unclean and forsaken. And he called her daughter and made her well. They called the woman from the city a sinner. And Jesus called her forgiven of her sins and to go with peace. What do they call you? What badge do you wear that others have almost sewn into your clothes that no matter how many times you wash your shirt, you cannot get rid of that scarlet letter? Is it lazy? Liar? Easy? Addicted? Too young? Too old? Divorced? Unlovable? Slut? Weak? Worthless? What badge or badges of shame do you wear? That moment, that moment when you take your tevila and the mikvah, right, when you are baptized, you are buried with Christ and all of your shame is washed away. You are loved by the Most High God. He calls you daughter. He calls you son. He prepares a seat for you at His table and even right now, He's preparing a place for you in His house. It doesn't matter what others think of you. It, it doesn't matter what you have done to this moment. It only matters. It only matters that you let the creator of the universe call you by how he sees you. He has called you holy, righteous, beloved, blameless. He has called you his child. 
Even now, we only know the woman from the verses we read today. We only know her as the woman with the issue of blood. But Jesus, Jesus never called her that. He only called her daughter. I cannot stand up and preach and make false promises that if you just tithe a little more or sin a little less or pray some more, that the sicknesses around you will be healed, but I can promise you that if you want a new name, a fresh start, a new life, Jesus is waiting to give it to you. Amen. Amen. The new life with a new name starts, really it starts in there. It starts in that baptistry or in a river or a hot tub or if your child is small enough, a bathtub maybe. Anywhere you want to be baptized. John 5, 24, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. We're not waiting to die for our eternity with Jesus to start. We have to die to ourselves in order for our eternity to Jesus to start today. Not physical death, but our spiritual death to ourselves being raised to walk in a newness of life. In Acts chapter 8, Philip is riding with a chariot, uh, uh, on a chariot with a eunuch from Ethiopia. Uh, again, we don't know his name. But after sharing the gospel with him, the eunuch says, well, there's some water. Can we, can we just do this now? And Philip's like, yeah, sure. So they literally stop the chariot, and then Philip baptizes him right then and there. He says, what prevents me from being baptized? And that's what I'm going to ask y'all today. What prevents you? Maybe you've been taught your whole life that it's not that important. Or maybe you grew up in a church where they say, yeah, it's, you were sprinkled as a baby. It, it's fine. And I know because that's, you know, that, that's what I was taught. So when I professed my faith in Christ as a younger adult, uh, someone taught me that, hey, did you know that Jesus said you need to be baptized? I was like, yeah, I was, you know, but it's no big deal. I said, no, no, when you profess your faith, then you get baptized. I was like, okay, I'll do it. So what is keeping you? What is keeping you from getting your dirty stains washed away, from getting a new heart and a new title? Because you are not what others are saying about you. You are a child of the Most High God. You are joint heirs with Jesus because of His work on the cross. And all you have to do is believe and be baptized. And I believe that there are several of you out there who are wrestling with whether or not I'm talking to you because your life is so messed up. And you're asking the question, can Jesus, can really, can Jesus really wash away everything? And I know that he can because he did it for me. Jesus is calling you to live so we're asking that you would come and you'd talk to, to me or, or one of our, of our elders. We would love to talk with you about getting you baptized so you can get a new start. And I just want to remind you guys, I know I say it every week, but I say it because I want you guys to know it and to believe it. I love you so much. My wife and I, my kids are here because we loved you before we came here. So I want you to know that you are not the stories from your past you are a child of God, and He is making a place for you in His house. You are loved, you are holy, you are righteous, you are blameless. Don't wear those badges of shame and dishonor anymore.
That is what you are called to. All right, let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that you recognize that we are unclean and unwell, and you love us anyways. You care for us anyways. You call us your child. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. God, help us to live in a way that reflects who we are, not who we used to be. God, help us to lean more and more into who we really are in your kingdom, more and more each day. And Father, we ask all of these things in your son Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thank you.